Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here right now, that you're with us, that you are guiding and directing us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And as we look today at what it means to be generous with touch, we pray that your Holy Spirit will lead and guide us as we open up your word. We pray that uh, you will speak clearly to us and that we will hear and not only hear, but obey uh, your commands and your call to us to be willing to touch the untouchable people in our spheres of influence so that they will experience your love, your power, your salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm so glad you've joined us online as we wrap up our New Beginnings Generosity series. So far, we've focused on what it means to be generous and have a new beginning in generosity with time, talents, and treasure. Now, I've been part of churches most of my life, and when people talked about generosity or stewardship, how we manage the gifts and blessings God has given to us, it was always the three T's, time, talents, and treasure, which means that there wouldn't be a fourth message in the series. We would have been done last week. But back in 2016, I was introduced to a book called The Generosity Factor. And in that book, we were introduced to the four, fourth T, touch. And I say we because after I read that book, I introduced the idea of generosity with our touch to the whole New Life family. So since the time, uh, we would say back in 2016, every time we've talked about generosity and, and stewardship, which is pretty much every year here at New Life, we have had four T's, time, talents, treasure, and touch. Before we get into the message about the fourth T, I'd like to take a brief but important detour. I want to talk about a quote that I heard many years ago uh, it was made by a man who was called who who had the nickname of Tremendous. His name was Charlie Jones. They called him Charlie Tremendous Jones. And this is what he said: "You will be the same person five years from now as you are today, except for the books you read and the people you meet." The reason that that has impacted me, and actually it's impacted you, if you've been part of New Life uh, for any any period of time, because I heard that quote before I started New Life, is that that quote, I took it to heart. I understood that I don't want to be the person I am today, five years from now, and that's been true in every five-year period of my life. I've never wanted to be the same, to stagnate in my life. So I have taken the time to read anywhere from 50 to 150 books a year. I listen to podcasts. I watch webinars and go to conferences. And in all of those things, what I've done is I've found out how I can be the person God wants me to be. I start my reading every day with the Bible because obviously it's God's Word, and, and I want to know what it is that God is calling me to be and do so that I can live fully as He created me to live. So, as your lead pastor, I see all of those things, reading the Bible, listening to podcasts, watching webinars, all of those things to be part of my job. And the reason is, if I don't keep growing, if I don't keep listening to the voice of God and other wise mentors and teachers, I won't be able to help you all become all that God created you to be. As I've said many times over the years, my task, my primary task as your pastor is to make the day that you meet Jesus the best day of your eternity. You can be sure that with each passing year, I take that responsibility more and more seriously. My prayer is that you will too, because after all, the day you meet Jesus 
you will be meeting Jesus. I won't be standing there beside you. You'll be all by yourself. And that meeting with Jesus is the most important meeting of all eternity. You're going to talk about your life, how you lived, what you did, and what you, most importantly, what you did with Jesus, whether he is Savior and Lord in your life. And so as we sit here, as I sit here today, as you sit in your home watching today, I want you to understand that all I am is a guide. That's, that's really my role. I'm a guide for your life so that you can live your life to the glory of God and that one day you can have that meeting with Jesus and it'll be a fantastic meeting. So you can be sure when you join us online that whether I'm preaching or any other pastors here at New Life, that we have studied the Word of God, we have looked at other resources because we want to help you to be and become all that God created you to be. So that's really the essence of stewardship, being everything that God created you to be and using every resource available to you to glorify Him and advance His kingdom. When I read the generosity factor and we added the fourth T, touch, to the list of the T's of generosity or stewardship, we ensured that each of you and me will have the opportunity to become more faithful in our walk with God and better prepared for that moment when we'll meet Jesus face to face. So now let's get back to the main message. As we wrap up our New Beginnings Generosity series, let's think about something that's clear about the four T's. The first three T's, that is time, talents, and treasure, I think are more easily measurable than the fourth T, touch, time. We divide time into big units, millennia, centuries, decades, and, and, and smaller units, years, months, weeks, days, minutes, seconds. We can even you know, divide it down into milliseconds, nanoseconds, but you get the idea. If we're going to be generous with our time, then we know that we need to use our minutes, our days, our weeks wisely. And we talked about that, obviously, a few weeks ago. We talked about what that means and how we do that by making wise choices and decisions with our time, by investing in other people's lives, preparing a meal for a shut-in, or having a conversation with somebody who's lonely. Each of those is a wise or generous use of our time. In the same way, we allocate talent into different categories. We break talents down. We say people have musical talent or they have artistic talent or they have athletic talent or mechanical talent and skills and we break all of those down in. You can even take aptitude tests that tell you what your talents and skills really are. And once we know the areas of talent, we can become generous with them when we develop them and use them to help others. And as Pastor Barry reminded us a couple weeks ago, that takes endurance because we don't always feel like using our talents, and maybe that's true of time and, and treasure and touch as well, to God's glory, but we need to endure and we need to use the talents that we have to glorify God and to help others. The third T, treasure, might be the easiest of all to measure because it's so tangible, so concrete, right? Money's easy to measure. Precious metals are, real estate, even pigs and cows can be counted. So God set the minimum standard of 10% for giving uh, which is easy to calculate. You just move the decimal point, as I said last week. Generosity begins when it comes to treasure, when we start to store it up in heaven, and when we use it to invest in people's lives so that one day they will be in heaven. But today's tea, touch, it isn't so easy to define sometimes. It certainly is more challenging to be generous with our touch during this COVID season, right? I mean, they tell us not to shake hands with people, not to hug people. We're supposed to be physically distanced. But the thing is, when I say being generous with our touch, we're talking about something that might not even re rely on a physical touch. 
And we are talking about appropriate touch here. We've talked about that every time we ever bring up this idea of touch. I mean, we don't want to touch people who don't want to be touched, and we certainly want to be appropriate with our touch. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about how we can have a new beginning even in this COVID season, when it comes to being generous with touch. Let's look at the take-home point. And for those of you who are new watching with us for the first time, the take-home point is the one point we're going to make from the scripture we read today that we want to take home and live out in the week ahead. And here it is. Jesus touched the untouchables of his day and calls us to do the same. Jesus touched the untouchables of his day and calls us to do the same. And when I say untouchable, In Jesus' day, that was literally true. There were certain groups of people who you literally were not allowed to touch. For example, if somebody had leprosy, no one could touch them. And if you touched somebody who had leprosy or a leper touched you, you were considered unclean and then nobody could touch you. If you had a bleeding disorder, you were untouchable. And while those who were demon-possessed weren't untouchable according to the law of Moses, some of them couldn't be touched simply because they were combative or reclusive. Dead people were also in the category of untouchable people. So if you touch a dead person, you became unclean for a period of time and nobody could touch you, you couldn't touch anybody. Finally, while Moses' law didn't prohibit um, people from touching Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, by the time Jesus came to the earth, the Jews had decided that Gentiles, anybody who was not part of the Jewish people, were untouchable. And if you touch them, you would become unclean as well. So... In our day, there's no such thing as untouchable people, right? I mean, there's no legal group of people that we can't touch because if we do, we'd be put in jail or we would become unclean. But at the same time, we all know that there are untouchable people, categories of people that we don't think are like us. You know, they, they don't believe the way we believe. They don't act the way we want them to act. And so they have customs that we consider to be offensive or even repulsive. But as we are about to see... Jesus broke down the barrier called untouchable and he opened the way for anyone to be touched by his love and his wholeness. He calls us to do the same in our lives as we live under his salvation and in the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. So we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark. That's the, one of the accounts of Jesus' life that's found in the New Testament. We're going to investigate three people who Jesus touched and changed because he came to bring life in all of its abundance to us. These are just three examples among many that we could look at where Jesus touched them. And what we're going to see is he didn't always touch them physically for that to happen. So if you have your Bible or Bible app and you want to join me, it's going to be Mark chapter 5. The whole chapter, it's a long reading. We're going to you know, read a few verses at a time. We're going to talk about those verses. And then we'll move on throughout the, the, the whole chapter. 43 verses in all, I believe it is. Anyway, if you don't have a Bible... The words will be up on the screen. So, they, that is Jesus and the twelve disciples, arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the, of the Gerasenes. While, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, before I move on, let me say it says when Jesus climbed out of the boat, not the disciples. Why would Jesus be the only one who got out of the boat? All twelve of the disciples were with him, so only one gets out, Jesus. It's because the Gerasenes was, was con, were considered a land of Gentiles. And so when Jesus stepped on the land, he was unclean according to the tradition of the Jews in that day. And Jesus didn't want the disciples to be in that same situation, so he had them wait in the boat. It says, A man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. That is Jesus. This man lived in the burial caves 
and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. By any man's definition, this man was untouchable. I mean, you couldn't get near him. The guy could break chains. He had incredible strength, and he acted like an animal. The, the, the people around him wanted to avoid him. This man had incredible strength because he was demon-possessed. And as what we're going to see is it wasn't just one demon, but it was thousands of demons inside of him, which gave him this incredible strength and which made it impossible for anybody to come near. But that didn't stop Jesus. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Jesus wasted no time commanding the evil spirit to come out of the man. The demons spoke through the man. Actually, right now, this interaction is between the demons and Jesus. They're just using the man as a literal mouthpiece to speak to Jesus. And notice what the demons said through the man. They said, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Did you hear that? A demon was actually, it was actually many demons were calling on Jesus in the name of God, not to cast them out of this man. So there's a spiritual battle going on, and a lot of times we don't see the spiritual battle going on either outside of us or sometimes it's going on inside of us, but it's always going on. And these demons wanted Jesus to leave the man alone because they were inside of the man and they wanted to be left alone. And they didn't hesitate to use God's name if they thought that would get them what they wanted. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. So once again, the man wasn't speaking to Jesus. The demons were speaking through his voice to Jesus. Notice that Jesus has not touched the man physically at all. He's still some distance away. He hasn't really addressed the man at all. He's simply addressing the demons. So it says, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged him. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Now, we could go a long time talking about this event, right? Jesus granted the demons their wish. Why did he do that? Why, why did he let them enter into the 2,000 pigs? And, and that sort of is why we believe there might have been 2,000 demons, like one demon for each pig, right? Anyway, the pigs ran down the steep hillside, they went into the lake, and they drowned. So did the demons die? Maybe. That's not really the point of, of this account. So why did Jesus let the pigs die, some people would ask. That's not the point either. The point is, Jesus touched the man and made him whole, even though he didn't touch the man physically. Jesus touched the man and made him whole, even though he didn't touch the man physically. He removed the demons to restore this man to wholeness. We are created for God, by God, for relationship with God and one another. Now that the demons were gone, the man could have a relationship with God and others. And as we see, he's going to want to have a relationship with Jesus, as we would expect. But the story takes a turn here. 
It says the herdsmen, the ones who had been tending the pigs, fled to the nearby town in the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. So let's focus on that one statement. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. You know, usually when the crowd gathered and watched Jesus cast a demon out of people, what happened was they started crowding around Jesus. They wanted the demons cast out of them. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to have some kind of blessing from Jesus. But that wasn't the case this time. The crowd could deal with legion when they couldn't deal with him. Think about that. As long as he was off in those caves, as long as he was bound with chains or, or even break, breaking the chains and he was an animal, really, they said, oh, fine, no, no problem. But now he was sane. He was calm. He was normal. And they shuddered in fear and asked Jesus to leave. Some say it was because Jesus had just destroyed the local economy. I mean, after all, 2,000 pigs, that means that it wasn't just one one person's pigs. This was probably all the pigs owned by the whole town and the shepherds were watching over, or whatever you call somebody that tends pigs. I don't know if it's a shepherd or not. Anyway, they, they were watching over the, the pigs from, that belonged to the whole town and now the economy was destroyed. Or perhaps they just couldn't accept God's power to touch the untouchable and make them whole. Jesus accepted their request. He turned to leave. Can you imagine that? Jesus would have stayed. Jesus would have healed every person in that crowd that day. But instead, they asked him to leave, so he just turned around and he did what they wanted. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Legion, I guess who needed a new name now, right? Because he didn't have that legion anymore, wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to be a disciple. He wanted to jump in the boat and go with Jesus. And we can see why. I mean, he had been, he had been less than human for so long. He had been tortured by these demons and now he was whole. He wanted to be with Jesus. But Jesus gave him a new mission, a new, a new ministry, if you. He, he called him to be an evangelist. He called him to go back home to his family and to his friends and to the towns. There were 10 towns in that area. It was called the Decapolis, which means 10 towns. And he wanted them to tell everyone what the Lord had done for him. And when the man did it, it's, we're told everyone was amazed. And, you know, this guy was full-on crazy and more powerful than anyone in the region. And just like that, after Jesus touched him, he was sane. He was normal. He was a passionate believer who actually became a passionate evangelist for Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen in your life if Jesus touched someone like that? Do you know anybody that's full-on crazy? What if Jesus touched them through you, by your touch, they were made whole? That's exactly what Jesus wants to do. He gave this man a new life, and he wants to give all of us a new life um, through his touch, even though he didn't actually touch the man. He just got rid of the demons. Okay, so let's move on. Jesus got into the boat again, and he went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, 
pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. So a synagogue ruler or leader was a very important man in the community. I mean, most of the people would have revered him. He was maybe the most important person in that town. We don't know what his attitude toward Jesus had been before his daughter got sick. We do know that generally the leaders among the Jews weren't really big on Jesus. You know, they were, they were against him. But this guy was desperate. Maybe he had seen Jesus touch someone else and heal him in the town. But right now, he wanted Jesus to lay his hands, touch his little girl, and make her well. We don't know why he put his trust in Jesus. Maybe he was just desperate, but we know he did. So it says, Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. So the woman in the crowd was untouchable by Mosaic law because of her bleeding disorder. Because she was bleeding, she was unclean. No one was allowed to touch her. The disease had cost her fellowship, humiliation, and had taken away all of her wealth. And despite all of that, She was not any better. In fact, she was worse. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus was not her last resort. Some people might think, well, she touched Jesus because it was her last resort. He was actually her first hope of actually being healed. She had exhausted every human resource and none of them had worked. She broke Moses' law because she believed that Jesus had the power to heal her. And what we know is this. Jesus healed the woman without knowing that he had touched her. Jesus touched many people on purpose for the purpose of casting out a demon or for healing them, even raising them from the dead. But this woman was made whole without Jesus' knowledge. She touched him more than he touched her, but it didn't matter. She was whole. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who has touched my robe? Jesus knew that somebody touched him. And so he asked, who was it? Before he could answer, his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? You see, touch must be appropriate. Even Jesus didn't want to be touched without knowing why or who it was that touched him. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. The woman admitted everything. She confessed to Jesus that she was untouchable, and yet she had touched him. According to Moses' law, Jesus was now unclean. I guess we could say unclean-er, right? Because he had already touched the the demon-possessed man who was in, well, he hadn't touched him physically, but he had touched the ground of the garrison. So he was unclean because he was on Gentile soil. Now he's unclean because he touched this woman that had a flow flow of blood. And Jesus said to her, daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. You might not realize it, but in those words that Jesus just said to that woman, he touched her more deeply than when she touched his robe and had the flow of blood stop. Why do I say that? Because Jesus called the woman daughter. You can look through all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will find out that Jesus called exactly 
one person, daughter, this woman right here. He not only didn't condemn her because she touched him and made him unclean, she act, he actually confirmed her and, and expressed it with a, with a, a, a word of, of endearment, right? Daughter. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what you're going through right now. You might be suffering a great deal, and maybe you think of yourself as untouchable. But whatever it is that's going on in your life, Jesus is ready to reach out his hand and say, daughter, son, and your faith can make you well. You see, that's our calling as the church, Jesus' body. It's to reach out to anyone who's suffering and offer a healing touch. And maybe sometimes it's after they've already come and touched us because they just are so desperate for wholeness. So while he's still speaking to her, that is Jesus is still speaking to the woman, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. What devastating news that had to be for Jairus. And maybe in Jairus' mind, he's thinking, if Jesus would have just not wasted his time with that woman, maybe he would have got there in time, but now my daughter's dead. We don't know if he was thinking that, and we really don't have time to find out because it says, but Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. So the synagogue leader, Jairus, is told, your daughter's dead. But Jesus says, don't worry, just have faith. So Jesus is calling on this man to exercise a kind of faith that we can't even imagine, right? Our daughter is dead. If your daughter was dead, and Jesus said, don't worry, just have faith. But that's what he asks. And then he, he, he thins out the crowd. Only Jairus and Peter, James, and John get to go with Jesus to the house. It says, Jesus went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. So Jesus didn't accept the widely accepted diagnosis that this girl was dead. He said she was just asleep. The crowd laughed at him. And if we were in the crowd that day, we might have laughed at him too. Because after all, dead is dead, it's not asleep. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. So Jesus went to the little girl and held her hand. He touched her. This girl was dead. So now Jesus was unclean, er, er, right? He had been unclean when he went to the garrisons. He became unclean, er, when he touched the woman who had the issue of blood. And now he's uncleanest, we might say, because he just touched a dead person. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus never became unclean when he touched somebody who was unclean. When Jesus touched a leper, he didn't become unclean. The leper became clean. When he touched the woman with the flow of blood, he didn't become unclean. The woman became healed. And even when he touched a dead person, he didn't become unclean. The, the dead person came back to life. When Jesus told the little girl to get up, she did. And I love the way the New Living Translation puts the witness's response. It says they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Wouldn't you be? I mean, if you were there and your daughter was dead and Jesus grabbed her hand and said, get up, and she did. She's alive. Total amazement. Now, one of the things that happened 
that seems a little odd is what Jesus said. He said, don't tell anybody that this happened and give her something to eat. Now, give her something to eat. That makes sense. Maybe she's hungry. But don't tell anybody this happened. Are you kidding me? I mean, there's a whole crowd of people outside that room, and they all know the little girl's dead. They've been weeping and wailing and mourning. How are they not going to let everybody know? The little girl gets up and walks out the door. Everybody's going to know something incredible happened. Jesus' touch made all the difference. So many people are waiting for Jesus' touch in our world today. All of us need Jesus' touch, and many of us have already received it. And we've been born again, and we've been given new lives. But now he calls us to touch others in his name. That's what it means to be generous with the gift of touch. Jesus once told his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. And as we can see here today, we can touch people simply by reaching out to them and doing something they need that will bring wholeness to their lives. So here's how we can be generous and give freely with the gift of touch. It's in today's next step. I will touch those Jesus sends my way this week. Now, if you're thinking, are you saying I need to hug people and forget about physical distancing? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying let's touch people that Jesus sends our way this week. Maybe he's going to send a person to you who needs to hear she is loved as a daughter. I mean, think about that. There are so many people in our culture, in our world, who, who don't think they're worth anything, who think their lives don't amount to anything. And you can touch them simply by saying, daughter, son, Jesus loves you. You're of great value. So touch that person with that truth. Maybe he's going to send somebody to me who needs to be touched by having a demon cast out. Then I'll need to touch him by addressing that demon, getting rid of it. We don't know who Jesus will send our way in the week ahead. We don't know how that person is going to need a fresh touch from Jesus. But what we do know is this. Jesus never turned people away. We know that he sought out legion. I mean, he traveled across the lake to the land of the Gentiles to find legion. We know that when the woman touched him, even though he didn't know about it, and at first he was a little upset about it, once he found out about it, he affirmed the woman for her faith. We know that even that dead little girl, her death couldn't stop Jesus from touching her and making her well. So let's be ready to give freely as we have received when the opportunities to touch people come this week. Amen? Amen. So everything we've just heard from Jesus' life about touching the untouchables and the miracle, mir miracles that he did in Jesus' name, in his own name, came through touch. And it, and it can only happen in our lives when we rely on the Holy Spirit to lead our lives. And that only happens when Jesus is Savior and Lord in our lives. Savior simply means that Jesus has rescued us from sin and death. And Lord means he's the owner. He comes in and takes over. He called it being born again. And when that happens, then we receive Jesus' touch and then we can give Jesus' touch to others. And I've said so often here at New Life that that reality, that being born again, that having the new life that only Jesus can give is so simple. It's not always easy, but it's very simple. It's as simple as ABC. We admit that we are sinners. We admit that we have not been whole, that we're broken, that we need the touch of Jesus. We believe, B, we believe in Jesus. Just as Jairus was commanded by Jesus, have faith. Just as the woman touched Jesus, knowing that her, her touching the robe of Jesus would bring her 
wholeness. Jesus wants us to have that kind of faith, that kind of belief that when we come to him, we know that he can transform us as well. And then C is to confess. To, to admit our sins is a good thing, but to confess them to God and say, hey God, I, I'm broken. I, I've, I've done many things that are against your will. I need you to restore me. That's what confession is. And, and, and when we do that, he promises that he will. And then we also confess before others that Jesus is Lord in our life. He is the king of our lives, our master. He's the one that gets to tell us what to do. So if you've never done that in your life, what we're going to do right now is we're going to just pray together. And as I pray, I'm going to pray as if I'm you and that I need to admit, believe, and confess that Jesus is Savior and Lord in my life. And I'd ask you to pray with me. And I'd ask all the rest of you who are watching online who have already made that commitment, I'm going to ask you to pray with us. And and we'll have a prayer for all of us at the end of the prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what we just read, that Jesus did come to touch people's lives. Legion, who had hundreds of demons inside, was made whole by the, the touch of Jesus, not the physical touch, but by casting out those demons. The woman with the issue of blood was made whole by touching Jesus. And we, we know that you allow us to do that, to touch you in, in, and to receive your strength and your power and your wholeness. And God, the little girl was dead and she was given new life. And we know that all of us are spiritually dead. And, and right now, God, I, I simply pray on behalf of any who are watching right now who have never trusted Jesus but are ready to. Here's the prayer we pray. I admit, God, that I'm a sinner. I admit to you that I'm broken, that I need healing. God, right now, I believe in Jesus, your son. I believe that he is Lord and God. I believe he has the power to save me, rescue me from sin and death and to give me a new life. And God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I confess my sins and I ask you to forgive each and every one of them. And God, I confess before anyone who wants to know that you are my God and Jesus is my Savior and Lord. And God, I pray for your spirit to fill me up to overflowing right now for the very first time that I can love you and serve you faithfully. God, I pray for all of us who are watching right now that Wherever we are right now, whatever touch we might need, maybe we already know you as Savior and Lord in Jesus' name, but we need a new touch. I pray that you'll touch us right now, physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever way that you'll heal us. I pray if there's any evil in our lives that you'll cast it out in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, that today and every day you'll empower us by your Holy Spirit, that we will be willing to touch the untouchables around us, those who send in our path, who need your healing hand, that you would be glorified, honored, and praised. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you for being with us today, for worshiping with us. I I ask if anybody has um, admitted, believed, and confessed Jesus, Savior, and Lord, that you just click on that button that says raise your hand right now so that we can know that you have made that commitment and we'll follow up with you and talk to you a little bit by letter about how you can live that new life and also in per- well in person in, in the chat if you'd like to chat with us about it. So please do that. Everyone, have a great and blessed week. Thank you so much for being with us. Remember, there's somebody out there that needs your touch this week.